0: Hi, everyone. My name is Armand Childers, and this is New Books Network. Today, I have the great pleasure of hosting Claudia Liebelt, and we will be talking about her book, Istanbul Appearances, Beauty and the Making of Middle-Class Feminities in Urban Turkey, which very recently came out from Syracuse University Press. Welcome to the New Books Network, Claudia.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be on the podcast, and thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Can you tell us a bit about yourself before we start talking about the book?
1: Yeah, of course. So my name is Claudia Liebelt. I'm a professor in social and cultural anthropology at the Free University of Berlin. And here I'm the head of a research team on gender, body and sexualities. And yeah, Istanbul Appearances is my second book. And it's part of a shift from studying global care work migration and the filipina labor diaspora to questions of embodied aesthetics and the global beauty industry
0: and maybe i i mean i would like to talk a bit about this shift like how did this book come about can you tell us a bit about your story of coming to working on beauty in istanbul
1: yeah so um beauty i would say is not only a really long-standing keyword of feminist debate but it's also a consistently growing global multimillion market. And I've I've long wanted to to study beauty from a critical feminist intersectional perspective. And um, yeah, Istanbul, a city that I've been visiting a lot since the late 1990s, proved a very um, perfect place to do so. Um, Because Turkey now ranks among the top countries really Um, worldwide with the highest numbers of um, cosmetic procedures. And Istanbul has really become a, yeah, almost global center, I would say, for the beauty and fashion industries.
0: And do you think, uh, I mean, this part, you mentioned this in in the book as well, but like, do you think the kind of Turkish TV series has an effect on this, Istanbul becoming this like uh, very fashion, beauty-oriented city?
1: Yes, I I think um, it does. So um, it has also become a center for cosmetic surgery tourism. And a lot of this tourism is coming from the Arab speaking world. And I think this is where Turkish series are the most successful. And I haven't really um, done much research on the perspective of these tourists. But but from what I learned in the field, I think it's it's very much connected. And in any case, I think that the media has really opened up spaces of imagination for for many residents in Istanbul but also beyond to yeah, to engage in, in aesthetic body modification and um more generally i would say the beauty industry has really changed istanbul's political economy and visual outlooks and you know even from traveling to istanbul in these past 20 years i could see that um there's now so many beauty clinics salons nail spas tattoo studios um opening up all over the city and um i think it's very interesting to look at the ways that, yeah, this new geography has impacted upon um, the residents.
0: And I mean, it's funny because also while I was reading the book, I kept thinking about these like Instagram ads, which are kind of prompting me to go to Istanbul to get to get hair plantation. I guess like uh, hair, hair transplantation. I guess the kind of male equivalent of some of the practices you're talking about here. I like is. Focused on more like uh, hair, but I'm sure a lot of men are also going through uh, aesthetic surgery, or like yeah surgery.
1: I mean, if you look at the statistics um, of the International Society for Aesthetic and Plastic Surgery, um, you can see that the number of men engaging in these, in I mean, the statistics are very um, you know male and female. Um, divided into two genders. So um, you can see that the number of men is um, engaging in plastic surgery is on the rise, but it's still much smaller. So it would be like around 80, 90 percent female patients and customers, um, as opposed to 10 to 20 percent of male customers. And my Book focuses on on femininity um, in a very deliberate way, um, looking at the um, general expectations and norms, and also the assumptions of um, you know um, uh, the link between femininity and. And beauty work, but and of also, course, I mean, I mean hair uh, I mean, uh, transplantation is very big in Istanbul. I think Istanbul is the number one worldwide for hair for transplantation. Um, so, yeah.
0: <laughs> and I mean, you also, I mean, to talk about um, beauty and the making of middle-class femininities, you also talk to a lot of different kinds of people from cosmetic surg- uh, surgeons to... Uh, two salon owners but also uh i mean also women from various different backgrounds how how do you tie these stories together in the book and also speaking of these women from different backgrounds like how do you tie, tie the stories of these women together
1: uh-huh. yeah i mean you're right there are many different kinds of people in this book and it i it was important to use multi-sided ethnography within the city to follow beauty practices across the city. And I strategically chose highly contested urban areas to illustrate the similarities, but also the differences in yeah, um, beauty work, intimate encounters, and aesthetic concerns in the city. So I selected... Um, Five neighborhoods and within them one or two hair and beauty salons or clinics, um, some considered more secular, some more conservative, some uh, located in the city center, some on the outskirts um, and yep, and uh, observed um, within these spaces um, during regular ongoing visits and so yeah, I had Many different interlocutors, um, but perhaps I should give you an example. Um, one of my key interlocutors was a young um, woman called Saliha. I mean, I call her Saliha in the book, but I do not use her real name, of course. So, and Saliha was a manicurist. I met her as a manicurist in a nail bar in um, central upscale nishantashe And she was very supportive of my research from the very beginning and introduced me not only to many of her regular clients who were very, you know, upper class ladies from the neighborhood, but also to her extended family who lived on the outskirts of Istanbul. And what I found really interesting about her story is that, I mean, her entry into the beauty sector was very accidental. Um, after she moved to Istanbul from Raziantep as a teenager alongside her mother and younger sister, and, um, yeah, she took up beauty work to to support her family. And she was not the only one in her family. Her aunt had also entered the beauty sector 30 years, years earlier um, in a ve- very similar um yeah um life situation and um so it was very interesting to to reflect upon the changes and also the opportunities that the sector offered with these um two women um and um also yeah um getting a, a perspective from inside the the beauty industry and saliha was also very interesting in in um from, from another perspective because she was um she's a pious woman she she covers her hair in public but um when working in this very secular neighborhood she took off her headscarf because she was so tired of of engaging in in conversations with her customers around her her piety and why she chose to to wear the headscarf and so on so um yeah I, I think her her case was was quite interesting and um so in in every place i i met um interesting people of course and and they introduced me to um yeah to other interesting people so i i somehow took these very different settings and and um yeah, um, followed, um, the people followed also some particular, um, beauty procedures and, and then try to, to weave it into, into a book, not only about the beauty industry in Istanbul, but also about, yeah, being female and, um, and feminine. I mean, um, that, that was the aim of many, many of my interlocutors um, in Istanbul.
0: And I mean, like in the story you just mentioned, in in Salia's story, I mean, there's always, I mean, in most of the stories you have in the book, there's always uh, a class component as well as kind of a religion component, uh, so to say, uh, or like at least, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the effect of religion and uh, women's conceptions, but also performances of beauty. I was wondering, uh, can you can you tell us how class how do you see class playing into these like ideals of beauty in your book?
1: Um, yes, so um, I mean there's there's a number of assumptions when we talk about beauty in um, in Istanbul. Um, first of all, that it's something that professional middle class women engage in, and and secondly, that it's a secular affair. And um I think this has changed quite a lot in, in the past few years. And um but but still it's very contested and there's a number of exclusions and and I think um that's what I tried also to, to show by by going deep into some of the stories the women told me. Um and I mean, what I think is is important to note is that, um I mean, uh, beauty work is expected from all women, but um some women have the resources to delegate the beauty work. um so they they become customers and um, have other women uh, do the beauty work for them, so to speak. Um so, and in, in many places um, globally, um, this kind of work is relegated to uh, women from the lower social classes. And Very often these um, niches are also racialized. For example, there's a fascinating book on Korean uh, nail salons in, in New York or, you know, in Berlin. Um, there's the so-called Brazilian waxing studios so in in istanbul many of the beauty workers are um are immigrant women also from um, lower social strata and very often um like saliha they they came to istanbul um in during their childhood um often you know from more rural areas or they are the children of of immigrants uh, to the city so to speak and, and more recently, of course, um, there's also um, Syrian immigrant women and um, but but this happened after my research took place. So unfortunately, I, I don't have much on this in in the book. But I think it's it's something that's quite important also to to, um, yeah, write about and um, yeah, and and also, I um, think it's important to talk about the the working conditions also in the sector and and the, yeah, the aspect expectations that some women can meet easily and others cannot meet so easily,
0: and I mean, following the threads, uh, I was also wondering how do you see religion then playing out in women's conceptions and performances of beauty?
1: Uh, yes, of course. So um, so I already mentioned this assumed secularity of beauty, which of course is historically very problematic and neglects the fact that beauty is really tied to cosmological understandings of what it means to be an embodied human being. So I, I mean, I seek also to, you know, to Take beauty serious and not um, you know, um, see it as as something frivolous or trivial. Um so um yeah, so but in Turkey, like elsewhere in the Islamic world, um pious women are are really an important, um, you could say, new target group for the beauty and fashion industries. And um yeah, I, I found that pine pious women's consumption of beauty services and cosmetic surgery needs to be really understood against the background of very far-reaching debates on the topic among Muslim scholars and also in the wider public. And um, whereas some Islamic scholars, for example, um, would condemn aesthetic body modification as devils work, for example, um, including Van Hoca in in Turkey. Um, Others would say that um, beauty is is very important for women to engage in and is part of a morally proper feminine behavior. So there's a lot of debates going on and um, pious uh, middle-class women they um negotiate different expectations of themselves. And um, what I found is that they are venturing into the very um secular urban world of beauty in increasingly self-conscious ways. and um so they engage um in beauty practices, I would say, very much like um secular or not not consciously Muslim women their age do especially younger pious women um but they have to scrutinize their motivating force and the resulting effects more carefully in in many cases this is what what became clear um from doing research in in conservative neighborhoods um for example Fatih but also Başakşehir which which is seen as yeah, the residential neighborhood of of this um, new uh, conservative middle class.
0: And I mean, in your uh, answer just now, you also talked about uh, how you see this within the larger Islamic world. But also, I mean, in the in the book, you I mean, while you're talking about this very specific case of middle class femininities in Istanbul, you keep uh, uh, a more global outlook in how you discuss this case. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you see women in Istanbul are similar to women elsewhere in their self-fashioning, but also maybe different?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, um, I would say that like elsewhere in Istanbul, beauty work is increasingly relegated to professional beauty service workers. And um, I would also say that it... Um, um, Ever younger women um, engage in these um, beauty services, aesthetic surgery, and so on. And in Turkey, also um, a growing number of, of elderly women, who um, you know in, in earlier decades um, would would not see the need or you know feel the pressure to engage in, in beauty practice or maybe in beauty practices, but certainly not in, in aesthetic surgery. So um yeah, I mean, I think in earlier decades um the beauty sector was more closely linked to the participation of women in the urban um I mean, in in um the white colour sector, so to speak, or you know, in in employment um for women. And and this link has has become less automatic. Um so I think like elsewhere also in in Istanbul um, nowadays everyone really is is expected to invest in one's outer appearance and and engage in what is often called self-care you know as as a proper consumer citizen so um so what is different in in Turkey or Istanbul I would say that in in Turkey, um, much of this has or op- Much of how this has played out in in very particular terms is informed by the neoconservative and authoritarian um, rule of the um, Justice and Development Party, especially its very conservative gender politics. So, um, I mean, the... um, The Akapé's ideology really conceptualizes women as different form and dependent on men um, by virtue of their nature, so to speak. Um, And from this perspective, particular kinds of beauty work, um, for example, body hair removal, are, are really part of, you know, being... I mean, um, fashioning a a proper moral self. Um, Whereas other aesthetic body modifications, such as tattooing, for example, is seen as morally improper and and also quite problematic. I mean, Western, you know, foreign, non-Turkish, and so on. So, I mean, matters of feminine appearance and morality have become very hotly debated public issues and in in the in a very you know um contested um political context um beauty practices have taken on very political meanings, you know, um using lipstick or publicly exposing ones to Um you may convey, you know, a very um yeah, particular political stance, and and I think this is this is very much connected to to a uh, yeah to the local political situation, and and that's why I think it's also important to to study the local effects, so to speak, of of this um, global beauty boom at non and at not assume that it plays out um, the same in in every regional context. so so beauty practices have have very particular meanings um, even within Istanbul in, in different neighborhoods. I mean to wear a tattoo in you know in the city center in a very secular space is a very different matter than than wearing a tattoo in a in a very conservative um, neighborhood, on the on the outskirts and and i've talked to women who who do both and and it's it's very interesting to see what what they experience and and um why they chose to to have a tattoo for example in the
0: first place and um i mean in kind of also wrapping up how do you see the contribution of your book in relation to feminist anthropology but also to the anthropology of, of body and the anthropology of the Middle East.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I see my book as, um, of course, contributing to a debate on feminist and female agency um, in the Middle East um, and a, a feminist anthropology um, in and of the Middle East. Um, and And I also see it as a move away from discussing piety and ethical formation and um focusing more on things like, you know, engagement in, in global consumer society, um, yeah, um everyday life, you know, um and and showing also the the complexities and ambiguities in in um, female agency in in the region, but also um very particularly in, in present-day Turkey. And, um, yeah, I mean, I hope that uh, the book will be read not only by uh, students of uh, Turkey or, of, you know, uh, Middle Eastern studies, but also um, by scholars who are interested in, in the global beauty industry and um, the feminist debate on beauty uh, you know, who are interested in in critical perspectives on beauty. and um so, yeah, and i th- I think I mean, the book tries to to contribute to to both these debates. I mean, a a critical perspective on beauty, um but also the debate on female agency and um feminist anthropology in and off the Middle East.
0: And I mean, what I really enjoyed as I was reading the book is this kind of uh, balance between very detailed ethnography, which kind of, I mean, of course, this is not a, this is not a context that is foreign to me. So I lived in Istanbul and I, yeah, I know about Turkey as I'm from there, uh, but also kind of the, um, the weaving of Theory and also putting it in perspective within kind of a global world um that would yeah, that I found really i that I really enjoyed as I was reading the book. Um,
1: thank you so much. I think it it really means a lot to be to to hear this. and yeah
0: i'm 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 happy that um this this came across very much. So um and yeah, before we finish, uh, what are you working on nowadays? Um I'm currently starting a new project which focuses
1: more on the senses and actually the sense of smell. So um when we talk about beauty we often talk about something visual and of course I mean you mentioned Instagram you know um we we have yeah we we're, we're surrounded by all these images you know and um I I was actually I realized by doing research in these beauty salons especially that smell is a very important part of beauty and it's it's very important for for many of the women who you know who attend beauty salons and and, and want to become beautiful or engage in, in, in beauty practices. So um so I became interested in this aspect and um so the idea is a project on olfactory belonging, also um, focusing on aspects of um, belonging and non-belonging in, in an urban space, also um, discourses on, you know who smells li- nicely and who doesn't, also in the context of migration and racism, um, but also in relation to, to gender. And so yeah this is this is my new project and um it's it's still very um much in uh in the beginning so um so it will take uh another while until the next book
0: comes <laughs> comes out <laughs> and would that still be an ethnography in Turkey uh, um well i
1: i uh, hope to Continue visiting Istanbul and to continue to do research in in Istanbul, but um, for this new project, I myself will focus on Berlin okay. and and see how, yeah, how how olfactory belonging and um, olfactory racism, perhaps also also in the history of migration to Berlin um plays, plays out um, in in another urban context, but I will have a PhD student studying studying in Istanbul, and then, yeah, hopefully we, we can bring the two aspects together.
0: Oh, that sounds very exciting. I look forward to reading that book then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, and it was a pleasure talking to you about oh, the book. and
0: The pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the New Books Network. Until next time.